Good morning. This is Pastor Todd. I want to thank you for tuning in to the Gathering Place podcast. This week, I am sharing a message for the church. I trust the Lord uses it to encourage and build you up. And here is this week's message. He's got a a visual monitor, so when I do this, even if it's muted, he sees the thing jumping, so he knows which one to unmute. All right, so we're going to take a break from doing a series, because we had finished up in James, did a Thanksgiving thing last week, so we're going to do a one-off, and so today we're going to do a message on the Lord's Prayer. We're going to break it down, because there's more into the Lord's Prayer than I think we give credit for, and I think it's really important to be able to break that down. So uh, for me, over the years, I've come to see that the simple prayer, because you know, you kind of learn it early on, and if you're in a traditional format, you, you learn it as like a rote prayer. And uh, even, even in the Catholic Church, part of your penance sometimes is how many times you're going to do the Lord's Prayer versus how many times you're going to do the Hail Mary, Mother of Grace, you know, with your rosaries. And uh, it can become like redundant and something that we mindlessly repeat. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at it, we're going to unpack it, and and see why it's not redundant and why it's not something that we should just rotely memorize. But there's so much packed into it. <clears throat> um, case in point, that if we look at the Lord's Prayer as it breaks down, it covers a lot of different prayer categories. Because, you know, if, if you look at, like, sometimes we pray for a better job, right? Sometimes we pray for the car to work. Sometimes we'll pray for health. Sometimes we'll pray for... Um, something we need. Sometimes we, we pray because we thank God. We're thankful for God. Sometimes our prayers are declarations of who God is in our lives. <clears throat> so the Lord's Prayer actually covers these particular categories, and you can unpack it a little bit longer if you wanted. Um, it's a prayer where we reaffirm like God's supremacy, God's sovereignty in our lives, which is essentially the first commandment out of the Ten Commandments. Actually, if you want to, you can do the first and the third commandments. Um, It's a declaration of God's sovereignty over both heaven and earth. So there are declarations that are happening in the Lord's Prayer. And we know Proverbs tells us that there's life and death in the power of the tongue, right? So what we use our tongues for. The Lord's Prayer (coughs) includes a a submission to His will. Uh, It includes prayers for provision if we need something. It includes... Prayers of giving and receiving forgiveness. And it's a prayer for protection in spiritual warfare. We don't even think much about that. Um, so as we look, as we break down the Lord's Prayer, we're going to see how it covers um, all of these bases. And it's just 53 words. 53 words cover a whole multitude um, of different things. <clears throat> so before I get into it, um, one of the things that struck me as interesting is... Um, I went to go visit uh, a Russian Orthodox friend of mine in Connecticut several years back. And I asked them, you know, like, how do you go about you know, like, praying over your house or blessing your house? And what they did was that they would, they're all about the incense, and so they would have like a little thing of incense that they would burn, and they would smoke each room with the incense, and they would recite the Lord's Prayer as they go through each room. And I thought, well, that's very interesting. You know, this kind of started my journey into unpacking the Lord's Prayer. And I was like, well, why, why, why the Lord's Prayer? You know, like that's just something that we, we really memorize. There's, it's pretty innocuous. 
but maybe there's something to it. And so that led me on an intellectual journey of studying through it and, and looking at the Lord's Prayer like piece by piece just to see what the components are made of. It's almost like looking at a puzzle or one of those like little uh, mechanical things that you build and you just want to see the working parts. <clears throat> so I'm going to read a little bit of the context before the Lord's Prayer. So we're going to start in Matthew 6. We're going to start with verse 5 and we're going to work through verse 15. So a little bit of context before the prayer and then a verse after the prayer. <clears throat> so starting in verse 5, it says, Jesus is saying, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father, who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. And I'm going to ask like, anybody who knows the Lord's Prayer, recite it with me here. <clears throat> Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now if you read other versions, there will be an attack on at the end of it. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Um, that's not in this Matthew passage, so I'm not tacking that one in there. And then the, the verse that follows up is almost like Jesus' exposition on the forgiveness section. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And so that's kind of important, so we'll come back to that. So the first thing that Jesus talks about in this is the issue of motive or the issue of intent, right? He says, don't be like the hypocrites. Don't do it for a spectation, you know, for people to see, for the show of piety. And so in, in chapter 6, Jesus teaches us about the right reason, right? The true intent. And, and we'll, if, if you read through the whole chapter, you would see a couple of, like, antithetical phrases popping up in tandem with each other. You would see phrases like, don't do like the hypocrites, yada, yada, yada. And then also, alongside that, what your father sees in secret, he will reward. So you've got these two things where the, the hypocrites are doing it for a show, for everybody to see, oh, look how pious they are. And Jesus is saying, that's their reward. Like, the attention that they're getting from other people, that's all they're getting. But if you go and you pray in secret, not making a show of it, then your Father will reward you based on that relational aspect that you're building on. The whole chapter deals with this. I mean, it's prayer, it's fasting, it's giving. At one point it says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. It's all about doing things with an internal intent of the heart, not for the acclamation of other people, or the acclaim of other people, sorry. Because the Lord knows the heart, he knows that those that are displaying acts of piety are doing it just for the attention. 
And if we do it for the attention, our reward is the intention. The, uh, the attention is our award, reward. Man, I'm sorry. I'm just stumbling over my words today. <clears throat> if we do the acts in secret, simply because it's the right thing to do and builds a relationship with the Father, that's the main intent. If we do it with that, our reward comes from our Heavenly Father. So Jesus says, don't be like the hypocrites. Don't do their big public ostentatious prayers. Pray in secret. You know, and those intentions are revealed. If you're doing it in public for the attention, it's a pretty good idea. That's what you're wanting. You're wanting the attention. If you do it in private, you're fostering this intimate relationship with the Father. And he also says, don't use long repetitive prayers um, hoping to get your, your God's attention. Because that's what the Gentiles did. Long repetitive prayers. Look at, look at the prophets of Baal in the Old Testament. Was it like four, four hours or eight hours, something like that? They just kept praying and praying, getting more and more intense, working themselves up, cutting themselves, all kinds of crazy stuff. And he's like, you don't need to do that. You don't need to get God's attention. He's always there. And you don't have to hope to get his attention to get him to listen. He knows what you need before you even ask. So he knows. And it's kind of like, uh, the way I look at this is, you know, at home, I hear this phrase more than the other one. With my kids going, mommy, 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 mommy. They don't do that to me as much because I'm not around as much probably. Um, and so that's kind of what I, I see Jesus as saying. Like, don't be like these Gentiles who, who don't have like uh, an ounce of spiritual maturity whatsoever. They're acting like a young child trying to get their parents' attention. Father, 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 daddy, 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 God, 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 God. He's like, don't. That's not an indication of the childlike faith. That's more of an indication of an immaturity who you don't really know the person you're trying to get their attention to. Right? I mean, like, yeah, the kids, the kids know their mommy, uh, but they don't know that mommy hears them the first time, right? They don't, because they're immature, they don't fully get that until mommy looks at them and goes, yes. Right? And how often do we hear that because we're, like, doing something, and mommy, 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 mommy. Right? But... For them, they don't have our attention until we go, yes, what do you want? Um, which, you know, I'm not perfect at. Shannon's not perfect at. We're working on it. It's a growth in progress. <laughs> but that's what it's like. Jesus is saying, you don't have to do that. You can just say, Heavenly Father, yes, he's right there. He's paying attention. <clears throat> so he, and he knows what we need before we ask. So now, with that in the backdrop, we're going to get into uh, the meat of the Lord's Prayer. The first, first part, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And it's basically a recitation of the first commandment. Your name is holy, right? And that's where the first and third commandment, because the first one is like you're declaring God sovereign over everything else. You shall have no other gods before me. So your heavenly Father, God in heaven, the God who rules in heaven, and then the second part, hallowed be your name. Your name is holy. Your name, just not even, haven't even gotten to you yet. Your name in and of itself is holy. And that's why the third commandment comes in, not to use the Lord's name in vain. Um, so your name is holy. You're making this declaration. Because God's location, if you want to think of location, is in the divine realm, is in the heavenly realm. God lives in this heavenly realm. It's the loftiest most separated location, right? That's what the holy is, right? Is that completely other. I mean, you can expound that to be other things. 
It's not because he's moral. Holiness isn't a morality. Holiness is, is completely untarnished, completely self-existent, completely separate from anything in the created world. God is holy, and so he's in the divine realm. It's separated from the physical realm. Father in heaven, you're making a declaration. He's, he's completely other. He's absolutely holy. He's higher above all things. Nothing compares to him. <coughs> and we are declaring that. That he is our heavenly father. He is our God. He is the highest God. Nothing compares. In the same breath, Jesus is teaching us not just to say, O Lord God, Holy Most God. He's teaching us to say, Our Father. He's teaching us to personalize this relationship with the God in heaven. So it isn't some distant deity that we're trying to placate, like Zeus or Jupiter or any of those. He's a personal God, and he wants that relational aspect. And Jesus is teaching us, through the very verbiage here, that we start working our way into this relational conversation with God. So we personalize it. <clears throat> Hallowed be your name. Your name is holy. And not only is it holy, I am going to treat it as holy. Right? I am going to sanctify your name when I use it on my lips, when I think about it. Now the Latin is the sanctificatur, right? Your name be made holy. Sanctified be your name. And that's a recognition of Levitical law, the whole holiness code. You know, like the whole law thing in Leviticus, the, the name itself, Levi, is the tribe of the priests. So this is a law code for the priestly class, right? All things related to the holy. We are recognizing this absolute holiness of God's name. We're, we're declaring the first and the third commandments of God's name. That's just the first line, right? So there's so much going into this. Like, God is so holy, and yet Jesus is inviting us to this intimate type of language. Our Father, our Heavenly Father. And we're to the second line. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. <coughs> Excuse me, that's verse 10. When we look at Genesis, when God creates the heavens and the earth, the design of creation we see was for God to dwell in both realms, in both heaven and on earth. He started that with the Garden of Eden. So he, he had created the earth. The whole earth wasn't his dwelling place at that time. The whole earth was essentially chaos. But he had created it. He had created order and he declared it was good. He didn't declare it was perfect. When he declared it good... He's declaring it habitable by mankind. Right? It's got the atmosphere, it's got the food, it's got the nourishment. Even though it's a wild, untamed world, it has everything humans need to live. However, he creates the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, if you look at all the ancient uh, imagery uh, in Mesopotamia, like all the different uh, religions and worldviews, gardens and mountains were where the gods lived. And so God creates this garden, this perfect garden, and that's where his dwelling place is. So he's wanting, he's got his realm in heaven, and he's also creating his realm on earth. And he puts Adam and Eve in there to cultivate the garden, to be almost uh, priestly rulers. If we, if we think of Jesus, right? Prophet, priest, king, right? 
he's a priest because he attends to the work of his father, God, right? And he's a king because he rules. He's, God sets him up as a ruler. And then Paul refers to him as the second Adam. So we're getting some parallelism that Adam's responsibility was to tend to his heavenly father and also to rule the earth as a ruler. And so he set up, because God says, go out and subdue the world, right? Go out, multiply, be fruitful, spread out, cultivate this land. Because the plan is that God is going to use humanity to partner with him to make this earth a, a place for God to dwell, not just Eden. But the mission isn't completed yet. So he creates Eden. And so what we have here, this is the cosmology, right? Got to build that up. So when we're declaring your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, what Adam and Eve gave up long ago when they ate the forbidden fruit and were expelled, thousands of years later, now Jesus has come to invite us again to partner with him to make the earth a place where his reign will be. So he will dwell both in heaven and on earth. And when we pray this part of the prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, one, we are declaring God's mission and we are declaring our partnership with God to fulfill that mission. <clears throat> so we're supposed to go subdue the earth. We're supposed to work, work with God in his stead, right, to build this out, to have a dwelling place for God. And, and John sees that coming to place, that, right, that the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word came and what? Dwelt among us. To use the, the, the Hebrew term, right? He tabernacled among us. What's the tabernacle? That's the dwelling place of God, right? So he comes among mankind and tabernacles among us. God's rule in the heavenly realms is unquestioned and unparalleled. What we're doing now with this declaration and our partnering with him, with the gospel, is to make that reflective here on earth, where God's rule and God's power is unparalleled on earth. And that means going against rebellious humanity, right? We're spreading the gospel to squelch rebellious humanity, but it's also going against all of the fallen angels who have set up shop here on earth to work against God. And so we're actually, just by simply saying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we are drawing a line in the sand against the fallen enemies, against the fallen angels who have set themselves up against God and against his creation. So now we're starting to get involved with spiritual warfare, and we're only into the second line. Wow, did we ever think about that when we're saying the Lord's Prayer? I mean, like, have we ever thought, like, we're engaging in spiritual warfare just by saying the Lord's Prayer? I typically don't until I sit down and think about it, but now I'm like, whoa, right? So our prayer is to make God's rule on earth unparalleled, beating back the principalities and powers and, and the thrones that Paul would talk about, right? Those, those fallen angels who have authority over nations, who have authority over regions, who have authority. Uh, even uh, the enemy, the, the devil himself, whose title is what? The God of this earth, the God of this world. And so we're making this declaration. We're drawing the lines in the sand. We are declaring with our mouths God's mission to turn the earth into his dwelling place. And we're declaring with our mouths, siding with him and putting action to it. It's a statement, it's a declaration of warfare 
against the fallen angels who have rebelled against God and are trying to destroy humanity. They do have a modicum of authority on earth because they haven't been fully removed from their position. And God is calling <coughs> his church to partner with him to displace them. And that's what spreading the gospel is doing. And that's why it's, there's so much hostility against the gospel because it means their defeat. It means the finality of their judgment. And they have every motive to make sure that doesn't spread just to prolong their rebellion just a little bit longer. And so there's this war going on. Then gets into uh, the next line. Give us this day our daily bread. It's a simple thing. It's a prayer of provision. We know, as Jesus you know, confronts the devil in the wilderness, man shall not live by bread alone, right? But every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, we're not just thinking food for our bellies. We're thinking all provision that comes from God. It could be financial provision. It could be food provision. It could be clothing provision. It could be shelter. Whatever we would have need of, God is our provision. So what we're doing is we're turning our attention away from things that we would see as the source of our provision and putting that attention to God, that God is our provision. How tempting is this for us to look to maybe our jobs or look to the resources that we've built up as the source of our provision. You know, maybe we've set up a trust with like compounding interest or something, and that we're looking to that as our ultimate source of provision. And that's not. Because Jesus says, whenever you put your faith in those things, moth and rust will destroy and decay. I remember chatting with uh, Michael. He said when communism fell, like a lot of countries in uh, the USSR, like People went from having a lot of money to having zero because their money just became worthless overnight. Like, you know, put your stock in that. You're going to put your stock in God, our provider, right? And so it's, it's a prayer that turns our focus to the source of our provision, the real source, which is our Heavenly Father. No matter how tempting it is to look to these other sources, like as the means of our provision. And then it moves on to Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, right? And this, you can also use sin, transgressions. You, know, you can name your, your favorite translation's terms. The crux of this is forgiveness. Like we forgive those who have wronged us and we're asking the Lord to forgive us for wrongdoing. <clears throat> and this is so important that... <clears throat> Like it, when Jesus finishes the prayer, he adds another verse or two at the end of it to expound how important forgiveness is. <coughs> like there is no relationship with God if forgiveness isn't flowing. That's just a fact of the matter. <clears throat> because unforgiveness, you've probably heard this before, unforgiveness is a poison to the soul and it's a poison to relationships. Unforgiveness is a poison that kills and destroys, which is not characteristic of our Heavenly Father. That's characteristic of the enemy. Because the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. And how best to do that? But through unforgiveness. If we're not willing to forgive, 
We're destroying relationships. It's going to affect all of our relationships eventually, and it will destroy us. It's a poison. It's also a power play. Forgiveness is a power play because the, the person who's being unforgiving has this perceived ability that I can withhold something over somebody. Like, they might have been able to put me into bankruptcy. They might be able to have taken away all my property, but I don't have to forgive them. They can't take that away from me. It's a power play. In, in a twisted way of thinking, it's a power play. <clears throat> and I, I've heard it say, it's like drinking a deadly cocktail, hoping that the person you're angry at will die from it. And the only one that gets destroyed is ourselves. <clears throat> and, in addition to that, unforgiveness is an idol. It's a golden calf. It's something that we worship at the expense of other things. Yeah, I'll, I'll be good to this person, but I'm going to be unforgiving. Jesus, I'll give you all, but I'm not going to give you this unforgiveness toward this person. And uh, it doesn't work that way. Because when we don't forgive, that's why Jesus expounds it a little bit later on. What we're saying is that we're saying to God, you can't have my all. Because I'm not going to give you this unforgiveness. That's mine. You, you, you can have my time. You can have my talents. You can have my work. You can have my intellect. But I'm not going to give you this unforgiveness I have against somebody. When we stand like that, we are not, in one sense, we are not fully submitted to God. And when we stand with that, we are, in a sense, acting like God. I have the ability to withhold something. So God isn't given the primacy of place in our lives. <clears throat> so we're not really serving the Lord. And because we're holding on to that unforgiveness, which is destructive in nature, we're now partnering with the devil as opposed to partnering with God. We're fulfilling the devil's mission in our lives, not fulfilling God's mission in our lives. So when we don't forgive, we're saying, God can't have it all. Even if you say, I'll give you everything except this. That's nothing. That's not giving God everything. Because God requires that obedience, and that obedience is forgiveness. And the same thing that Samuel told Saul when he heard, what is this bleeding of sheep that I hear? And Saul's like, the sacrifice is for the Lord your God. And Samuel says, has not the Lord required obedience over sacrifice? When we're unforgiving, we're disobedient. <clears throat> and finally, unforgiveness is a pride thing. It's a pride thing. It's because it's about me. It's about what I can do. It's about how I can hurt somebody else. It's about me, what I'm not willing to give up. <clears throat> the problem is if we don't offer forgiveness, and this is why Jesus put that phrase at the end, we can't receive forgiveness from our, our Father. Mm. If we don't let forgiveness flow out of us, then that forgiveness is not going to flow into us. Jesus could die on that cross a million times. And if we're not willing to let go of whatever it is and offer forgiveness, we'll never receive the forgiveness from Jesus. So in the end, what that means is that we're still in our sins. If, if we have unforgiveness. If we have unforgiveness, we're never going to grow spiritually. 
will never be a spiritual giant. We'll never be more than a Christian infant. But if we're withholding forgiveness and we're not being forgiven, then we don't even have a vibrant spiritual life with our Heavenly Father. We haven't been raised with Christ in baptism. There's no significant character development. There's no growth in wisdom. There's no affirmation from our Heavenly Father because forgiveness is tantamount to any of this flowing freely. And then we'll never hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. If we hold on to unforgiveness and we meet him on that last day, we will hear the other one, depart from me, I never knew you. Forgiveness is absolutely important to the spiritual walk. And that's why this is in here. Because forgiveness is basically the linchpin to the floodgates of God's love or damming it up with a sin because we're not willing to forgive somebody. <clears throat> Such a major part in this that, that Jesus expounded on it because it's so important. And then we get into this last line. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now we know that God doesn't lead us into temptation. James talks about that. <clears throat> what this is, is it's a prayer of protection. It's a prayer of protection against um, going into uh, tempting environments. It's a prayer of protection against attacks from spiritual enemies. Um, so there is an element of spiritual warfare in this, that we're asking the Lord to guard and to guide us against four particular things. To guard us and guide us against our flesh. Because James says it's our flesh that gets us caught up in sin. Right? We give thought to it, thought rises, turns into a desire, we act out on it and destroys us. So we're praying to the Lord to help protect us from our own flesh. Sometimes we're our own worst enemies to protect us against spiritual adversaries, to protect us against human adversaries. Because a lot of times, humans will, be, will play right into the hands of the devil to destroy somebody. And so we're asking for the Lord for protection on that. And essentially, asking the Lord to protect us from any source of ill intent that will detract us from our communion with God. So just that... that that last phrase, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, we're taking on um, another role of spiritual warfare, and it's that protective aspect. <clears throat> uh, I think I've mentioned it before. Whenever I, we, we put the kids to bed, we've, we've got a routine. Uh, we go through and we do uh, thankfulness. We thank Jesus for usually three things for the day. And then we bless people. And, uh, and then we... We do forgiveness prayers. Jesus, please forgive me for acting naughty and mean. That's the words we use because words they understand. Naughty and mean toward others. And I forgive when others act naughty and mean toward me. Like we're instilling that early on because that's so important. And then after they get done with their parts of the prayer, Daddy comes in and he prays, like, Dear Jesus, please look after Ellie, Finn, Lathy, you know, throughout the night. Protect their mind and dreams. So now we're we're getting into spiritual warfare in the dream, the dream zone, right? So the Lord protects them from, from bad dreams from the enemy. Protect them from their mind and dreams. Let them know your love and peace so that they grow up, that they're accustomed to Jesus' love and Jesus' peace in the house even when they sleep at night. Then they say, Holy Spirit, fill this house with your presence. The best way to push out enemy presences 
the best way to clean a house is to ask for an increase of the Lord's presence to be there. Because Jesus is light, right? The darkness flees from the light. You don't have to spend all night yelling at a shadow. You just turn the light on. Right? That's all we're doing. Jesus, fill this house with your presence. And then by doing that, we say, push out anything that's not from you. Right? Look after him tonight. Protect him through the night. Prayer of protection. Let him be well rested for an amazing day tomorrow. That's the ending prayer for the kids. <clears throat> Sometimes they still get scared, right? They'll still wake me up at midnight. Daddy, I'm scared. All right. So I've got, got this little, little picture of Jesus on a plaque that I've hung up in their bedroom. So they got the door that opens up, right? But on the other side of the door, there's a wall, and I hung up this little plaque of Jesus. And so whenever they come out, they say, Daddy, I'm scared. It's like, okay, so I'll grab them, and I'll carry them in, and I'll hold them, and we'll look at the picture of Jesus, and we'll pray, you know, Jesus, fill this room, stay in this room with me, look over me. We'll do some listening prayer. I'll be like, you know what Jesus is saying to you? He's saying, Finney, I would love to stay in this room with you all night, and I will protect you, and I'll keep all the scary things away. That's what Jesus is saying. Where do you think he's at? I think he's over by the dresser. I think you're right, buddy. So he's going to stay right there. He's going to look right over you and keep all the scary things away. And you know why we have this picture here? Why? Because you can look at that picture and remember that Jesus is in this room. So they have a concrete way of thinking. So last night we let them sleep in the living room because we set up the Christmas lights and all that and they... They wanted this big deal where they sleep in the living room with the Christmas tree on. They just thought this was the greatest thing. Well, you know, midnight, Finn comes around. I'm scared. So they're like, okay, well, let's pray. And they go to put him in. He's like, can you bring the picture of Jesus out? Yeah, we'll go get the... So they go and, like, take it off the wall and, like, prop it up on the chair so he could see it as he's laying down so he could go to sleep because he knew that Jesus was in the room. So, but all those elements are in the Lord's Prayer. Like one day they will learn the Lord's Prayer and because I'm their daddy, they'll learn all of this about the Lord's Prayer too. And they can take that and they can be empowered and equipped when they do start praying on their own uh, to stand their ground because they know Jesus is bigger. And so the Lord's Prayer, it covers all of this stuff. Now this, is, this was kind of a short one. So in conclusion, because, you know, 53 words, you could probably go on for a long time, but you don't say what needs to be said. In conclusion, we can see the Lord's Prayer isn't something that we just memorize and recite mindlessly, like a Gentile would, right? There's powerful substance in every line of the Lord's Prayer, if we think about it, if we unpack it. It's a simple prayer that covers a lot of major areas. When needed, we can take each verse, and we can pray that verse, and we can expound that verse. Lord, give us this day our daily bread. Lord, we need an income raise, right? Lord, we need provision to get the cars fixed. Lord, we need, name your petition. You could even put healing in there, our daily bread, provision. God, you're our healing provider. You can heal us. Each verse, pray it. We can expound on it. In doing so, like if we cycled through lines of the Lord's Prayer, like if we just said, like one night we say, Dear Heavenly Father, hallowed be your name. And we spend a little bit of time praying about God's holy name and, and how sovereign God is in our lives. If we took the next night and we prayed, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, and talk about like partnering with God and expanding the gospel and, and letting the power of the Holy Spirit unleash on Lake County, right? And if we went to the next night and say, 
Yeah, whatever the next line is, sorry. <laughs> Give us this day our daily bread, and he takes care of it. And then the next night we pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And we spend the time offering forgiveness from people who have offended us and then asking the Lord for forgiveness. And then the next night, don't lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one and expand like the Lord's protection and the Lord's guidance on those things. If we did that on a cycle, we would set up a habit of a very robust prayer life that would grow us spiritually, make us giants in the spiritual realm that the enemy would be forced to deal with, right? Because we're taking the Lord's Prayer and we're declaring our partnership with our Heavenly Father. There's a lot to the Lord's Prayer. In 53 words, a lot can get done. <clears throat> so when needed, we can take this, we can pray it, we can do it frequently, we can build a robust prayer life and grow exponentially. If we need provision, Lord's Prayer. For losing focus on God being the center of our life, the Lord's Prayer. Feeling attacked by the spiritual enemy, guess what? The Lord's Prayer. Feeling angry at somebody that's offended you, the Lord's Prayer. All kinds of things can be done. I guess it could be said that, in a sense, the Lord's Prayer is kind of like the Swiss Army knife of prayers. It's just got all these little mechanisms in there that can get the job done. And you don't even have to know Greek or Hebrew to do it. Right? Like, it's right there. It's simple in English, and we can all do it. So, <clears throat> dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace. Thank you for the treasure of the Lord's Prayer and so much that's in it. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would take this and plant it in our hearts and let us draw closer to you and let us understand your words a little bit more deeply now uh, that we've looked at it in Jesus' name. So for those, anybody that's uh, been on the podcast, uh, oh, you can stay, you can stay. Anybody that's uh, listening on a podcast who, uh, or, or you know, listening on Zoom, if you've never heard this, if you've never heard of this, this Jesus, or you've just kind of vaguely heard about Christianity and this has caught your attention, uh, then just say these uh, simple things um, and invite the Lord to encounter you. You, just, uh, you can repeat after me, Dear Jesus, I've heard some interesting things here, and uh, I'm interested. Um, if you're real and if you're legitimate, um, then I want you to reveal yourself to me. Amen. And... Uh, let me get to know you, uh, because this is interesting, and I want to know if it's real. And only you can do that. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you prayed that, you know, um, expect the Lord to speak with you, to show himself to you uh, in some way or another. And if you have more questions, you can get a hold of a Christian that you know, and they'll be glad to answer questions. If you don't know any Christians, you can always get a hold of uh, us at the church at info at tgpchicago.org. Once again, that's info at tgpchicago.org. And uh, one of our leaders would be glad to reach out and answer any questions you have. So we're going to leave it up to, uh, find, to uh, do a final worship song and to close us in prayer. God bless you. Hello again. This is Pastor Todd. I pray the Lord uses my message today to strengthen your walk with God. If you were blessed by this message and would like to support the ministry of the Gathering Place financially, I encourage you to use our online giving portal at tgpchicago.org. The portal uses PayPal's secure site so none of your information is compromised. Once again, thank you for tuning in to the Gathering Place podcast. God bless you.
and have a great week.